Have you ever had a situation in your life uh, that you just didn't know what to do? Perhaps you had two options, and both options were really good options, but you didn't know what to do. And, you know, as a Christian, you were trying to think through of like, what is God's will on these two options? But the two options may be great options. They may be options like staying here or moving away from here. The, the options may be going back to school and getting a degree or not going back to school and just kind of keep on keeping on. Or it may be uh, keep renting or, or buy a home. We don't know if it's time to buy a home or not. Or it may be uh, to take some type of risk in life or to play it safe. But it's a situation that's good. You just don't know, what do I do in this situation? What would God want me to do? Or there may be some situations in your life that are very difficult that require a lot of suffering, and you're just kind of at a loss. You don't know what to do about that either, and you really don't know what God's Word says specifically about the situation. Maybe some type of hardship within your health, or maybe some hardship within your job. You're in a toxic work environment. You don't know if you stay or go, or you just kind of really don't know what to do. It Maybe even within relationships, within a marriage. The marriage is kind of going south, and it's gotten really hard to deal with, and this, like, you, you just you don't know what to do. Or maybe you've been in a situation in life where it's just dire. I mean, it's bad. You've got the diagnosis, and you really don't know how to pray. You get into the situation like, well, should I take treatment or should I not take treatment? Should I take chemo or not take chemo? And, and it gets to a point sometimes in our lives where like, I don't even know in this situation what to pray. Should I pray for God to give a miracle and, and heal me? Or should I pray for God just to go on and to take my life? Now, I know when you hear that, that sounds pretty jarring of like, wait a minute, pray for God to go on and take my life. We have to realize, though, in life, healing can come in one of two ways. It can come in God performing a miracle or using medicine or whatever it is to heal you right now. Or healing can be ultimately God taking you and you being with Him, right? But it's hard to think that way. And we, we get into these situations where they'd be good or moderate or really, really bad. And we think, if I only knew God's will, I would know how to pray. I would know what to do. Well, good news for us is uh, God has revealed most of his will. We have this thing right here, his word. And when it comes to his revealed will, um, really there's no prayer required of should we do or should we not do. When God says do something, uh, we don't need to pray about that, right? When God says serve one another and serve the church, do we need to pray about doing that? When God says give, and it's like, do we need to pray about that? When God says share the gospel and tell other people about Jesus, should we pray about that? No, when, when, when the Bible says make Jesus our number one priority no matter what, should we pray about that? I mean, not at all. Or like raise our kids up in the ways of Christ. There's nothing to pray about there except maybe we need to pray for empowerment to do it, to be obedient, to have desires for it, and to live it out. And so we have God's revealed will. However... God also has another will. It's his secret will. It's his hidden will. Our Bibles say that, right? There is a mysterious nature about God and his ways. And isn't it interesting that the mysterious will of God or the hidden will of God typically has to do with our personal lives? Because when you open the Bible, it doesn't tell you where to go to college, does it? Does it? When you open the Bible, it doesn't tell you that person's name to marry, does it? It just, it doesn't. And, and so what do we do in those situations where like we need answers or we need help or we need to know what to do and how to pray? What do we do in those situations where it feel like, feels like we're, we're faced with a mystery? 
that God's will is not clear, we need to trust the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to learn today. Today we're continuing our study through the book of Romans. And so if you've got your Bible, go ahead and go to the Romans chapter 8. Uh, go to Romans chapter 8. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we say you're going to need one here at Grace Point Church. We lead, teach, and preach from the Bible. Uh, if you don't have one, we have them in English and Spanish for you. Just grab one. And then also you version, click events, and uh, you can download it and have all the Grace Point stuff there. But uh, as you turn your paper Bible to Romans chapter 8, keep your finger in it, or if it's got like a little bookmark, or grab your tissue, or I don't know, put something in there, uh, and, and, and hold it there. We're not really going to start there, though. What I want to do is I want to set us up. And I want to give us two scenarios from the Apostle Paul's life. Now, Paul wrote the, uh, a bulk of the New Testament, and I want us to look into his life a little bit before we get to Romans chapter 8, where to help make sense of our own lives. And so I'm going to give you two situations. You ready? Situation number one is what we call Paul's thorn, which is going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So go keep your finger in Romans 8. Go to 2 Corinthians 12. The situation I want to talk about here is Paul's thorn, or what we know as the thorn in his flesh. If you've been around church for a while, you've probably heard of this story a little bit. Yeah? Give me a little nod. Yeah? Okay? Okay, cool. If you haven't, I'm going to tell you about it. Paul gets this revelation from God, or this vision from God, where he's caught up into the third heaven, where he sees things that the eye has not seen, he's heard things that the ear has not heard, and it's going to be this magnificent, magnificent, uh, majestic vision that he would be able to tell everyone around that he saw, but then God does something very interesting. God does something to keep him humble. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Are you there? Okay, verse 7. So to keep me, this is Paul speaking, from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from be- becoming conceited. Okay, what's going on here? What is his thorn? Well, some theologians will say, well, maybe uh, God assigned to him of some sort or allowed a demon to kind of torment him. I don't think that's what it is. Uh, but many theologians will say that it was some kind of physical issue, some kind of sickness, some kind of ailment. Uh, we believe it to be he had bad eyes. Like he had an eye situation that is bulgy and, and oozy and like going to fall out kind of gross, right? Uh, the Bible kind of leaves it. Some, some people will say he got malaria in his travels. That might be a part of it as well. Some people say uh, that he got migraines a lot. Uh, anyone here get migraines? The worst, right? And so nonetheless, uh, he has a physical health issue. Question, who gave this to him? You're hesitant to answer. Who gave this to him? God. God gave him this. To do what? To keep him from being conceited. To keep him humble. Now, imagine Paul in this situation. Now, we know the rest of it, but don't go that far yet. In in this situation, Paul needs to pray for himself. Why? Because you should pray for yourself. Some of you are like, I'm not supposed to pray for myself. Yes, you are. Pray for yourself. If you have uh, an illness, pray for yourself. Get other people to pray for you as well. But Paul, how is he supposed to pray for himself? Jesus, take this away, right? You would agree, like, I'm, I'm praying that all day. My ball's about to fall out. Like, Jesus, keep that sucker in. It's gross. <laughs> and so Jesus, like, how is he supposed to pray? Heal me. Cure me. Make me better. Verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Jesus, this is painful. Jesus, this hurts. Jesus is freaking people out and they look at my face. Like, like he's praying, bam, bam, bam. He prays three times right there. Now, at this point, we would all say, why did God do this? 
this would be a part of his hidden will. Now, he's revealed it to us in the scriptures, but we would say in regular life, this would be a part of his hidden will, but he's revealed this, okay? Uh, so how does Paul answer, or how does uh, God answer Paul? Look at verse 9. But he said to me, this is God talking to Paul. Listen to what God tells him. My grace is sufficient for you, for my powers made perfect in, what's the word right there? Weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am, what's that word? Content. Content. You know what the word content means? It's very simple. It means I'm okay. I'm all right with it. I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, we as Christians, we hear this, we're like, hooray, I'll have some of that as well. But will you? See, God prohibited him from speaking of this, this, this great vision he saw, this revelation, and gave him a physical ailment so he wouldn't tell others about this. Why? Well, the vision would not be what would demonstrate God's goodness to the world through Paul. It's not the vision, no. The grace and suffering is what would demonstrate God's goodness to the world. Not the revelation, why, why do we love this verse? Why do we read this verse? Why do we think about this verse? Why is this our life verse? Why do we? It's not because Paul got a revelation. It's because of God's grace in the middle of what? Suffering, pain. Did you hear that? Do you believe that? See, you and I, if we got really honest, we just want to be healed. And when we're healed, whenever we have some kind of bad situation going on in our life, some kind of ailment, some kind of deformity, something going on bad, I just want to be healed. I just want God to cure me. That's all I want. And if he will do that, then I will sing his praises from the rooftop and I will tell everyone who my redeemer is and it'll be great. But what if he doesn't heal you? Will you go to the world around you and say, his grace is enough. In my weaknesses, he will be made strong. Paul said that. He said, I'm okay with it. He said, I'm okay with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecution and calamities. Why? Because this is God's will for this side of heaven. Situation number two. We have Paul's thorn. Let's talk about Paul's imprisonment. Uh, go to Philippians chapter one. If you know anything about Paul's imprisonment, uh, he's been out preaching the gospel, proclaiming Jesus. It really got people mad. It landed him in prison. And I mean, it's like, uh, first century prison, not like TVs and three square a day and like, you know, outdoor time to, you know, pump some iron or anything like that. Nope. Uh, it's like rat infested, gross, dungeony prison. So he's in prison. Now, imagine if, <laughs> some of you are like, this is not too much of an imagination. Imagine if I went to prison. <laughs> How would you pray for me, Grace Point Church? Wait, let me clarify that. Imagine I went to prison for preaching the gospel. Make sure that's very clear. And you were all gathered here, how would you pray for me? What would you be asking? Pray for your strength in that jail. Okay. Pray for, what, what else would you be praying for me in prison? Courage. Courage? Who, somebody said over, what is it? Release. Yeah, get me out of there, man. You guys pray. <laughs> Lord, we pray that Ty's strong there. He's like, I'm not strong. Get me out. <laughs> I'm too pretty. <laughs> Stop. You would pray, get him out. Philippians 1.12. 
I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, imprisonment, right, has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, like all, all the guards there, all the Roman guards, and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so, of course, pray for him to get out, but that's not God's plan, is it? God's plan is Paul to be there in a very bad place called prison and to suffer in prison so that the guards around him will hear the good news of the gospel. And so the brothers and sisters around there will be like, hey, if Paul can do that in prison, I'm not in prison. I can do it outside of prison as well, right? That is God's will. Now, at this point in the story, Paul doesn't know if he's going to live or die. In that situation, it's easy to assume, I would assume in his place, that he's headed for execution, that he's going to die. And so I imagine, or I wonder, how is Paul praying for himself in that moment? Verse 20 of Philippians 1. As it is, my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by, what's it say right there? life or by death. Paul's like, should I pray to live or should I pray just to die? For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. Paul's like, it may be God's will for me to live and build up the church, or it may be God's will for me to die. Win-win. Which one does he pray for? Now, we know that he lives, but in that moment, he did not know what God would have for him. Now, you may be wondering, like, Ty, why in the world are we going through these two situations? Paul's thorn, Paul's imprisonment. Sounds like a whole lot of suffering. Because there's some times in our lives we just don't know what God's will is. Sometimes in our lives we just don't know what to pray there's major life situations that the Bible does not specifically address, like jobs and moving and finances and health and parenting and marriage and dating and things of that nature. Let's say that someone is sick. Imagine if you had someone in your life that is sick and they've got a really, really bad illness and it's like, it's terminal, it's bad, there's not a lot of hope. What are we to pray for them? Well, on one hand, we could say, Lord, heal them. And I believe God still heals people. I've seen it with my own eyes. But it's going to take a miracle. Or God, let them perish. Why? Because healing's not on this side of heaven for them. Sometimes we just don't know what to pray. Pray that they're saved first, pray that they're saved first for sure. Sometimes when it comes to God's hidden will and mysterious will, and it causes suffering and pain in our lives or it causes us to not see things the way God sees it. We look at God like a child and we're like, God, why? Why? You ever had that question before with God when you just go to God like, why? Why did you allow this to happen? And why is this going on in my life? And why am I suffering like this? And why and why and why and why and why? You ever have a kid do that to you? It's fun, right? But why? But why? But why? It's like, oh my gosh, kid, do you not see the size of me? But how do we answer our children when they do that over and over and over? We, t- we tell them two words. What do we tell them? Trust me. Right? 
You don't need to know the why. You just need to know me, the parent. And to know me, the parent, is to trust me, the parent. So just trust me. I think God does the same thing. Trust me. Now go to Romans 8. But not our text. Go to Romans 8, 31. I'm going to get to our text in just a minute. Some of you are like, oh, man, I should have packed a lunch with me. Oh, boy. <laughs> Maybe. Romans 8, 31. And we'll get to this in the coming weeks. This, this is just a beautiful verse. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? And that if is like a rhetorical question because if everything he said and is going to say, God is for you. Do, do, Christian, can you hear that this morning? You, you need to hear that with everything in you, and then now you need to believe that. Do you believe that God is for you? Now, for some of you, you may be thinking in the back of your mind, well, Ty, you don't know my life. You don't know what's happened. You don't know this illness. You don't know my relationships. You don't know the struggles. You don't know the pain. You don't, I don't. But God is for you. Was God for Paul? Come on now. Was God for Paul? But wait, 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 wait. But wait, he suffered, right? He had the thorn in his flesh, the eyeball. He had a... But wait, he was in prison, but God was for him. That's a part of God's hidden will. God is for you. If you remember last week, we talked about creation groaning. Paul's going to continue that and say, we are also groaning as well. Now to our text, verse 23, Romans 8. After 30 minutes of an intro, I'm ready to preach. Here we go. Verse 23. And not only the creation, we talked about that last week, creation is groaning, creation wants to be redeemed, creation is just on its tiptoes waiting to see us be redeemed because it is next. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, and the text means sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. Now, he talks about first fruits. First fruit just simply means uh, gardening or farming terms. Anybody here have a garden ever once in their life, ever been on a farm once in their life, ever seen a plant grow in their life? Cool. And so first fruits mean, basically, think about an orchard or something like that, and you see the first apple bloom. You see the first fruit of an apple, and you know, like, ah, the harvest is coming. It's not already yet, but the harvest is coming. Uh, what Paul is saying, we're kind of in that in-between phase right now. We can see some first fruits now, knowing the harvest of Christ returning and redeeming all things and redeeming us as well is to come. Make sense? And then he says the first fruit of the Spirit, meaning the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. We have him now as kind of a guarantee, a down payment, or deposit. Paul picks up on this in Ephesians 1.13. He says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were, what's that word? Sealed. An unbreakable bond. A seal with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of the glory of God. We have it, but we are going to acquire possession of it soon. And so the Holy Spirit is the down payment of God, uh, assuring us, assuring us, Christian, that he will finish what he started. Isn't that great? Anyone in here own their home? Anybody here like you're a homeowner? Anyone in here own your home, but you still make payments on it? Okay, so that's us. So we're making payments on our home. My question for you is, do you own your home? And you would answer... Yeah, yeah, my name's on it. But actually, who really owns your home? Oh, the bank does. 
Don't believe me? Stop making payments. <laughs> They'll prove to you, oh yeah, this is ours. You have to leave now. Uh, but the reality is when you pay it off, there's going to be one of these days, I know it is so far in the future, one of these days we're like, it, it, I take complete possession of it. The same is true of you as well as God has paid for you. And the good news is the down payment was enough. It was Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And at the resurrection, the Father accepted the payment of the Son, and now the Holy Spirit is kind of like the deed inside of you and that God never bounces checks, and you are His for sure. There's no take-backs on that. You will never be repossessed by anyone else. That's the good news of the gospel. God totally has you, and that down payment is a reminder of that. Verse 23 again. He says this though, he says that we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So Paul's saying that the crops will eventually come in. But until then, there's going to be some groaning. And he's talking about our physical bodies. We will be groaning. Our physical bodies are a mess, aren't they? They misfire, they leak, they embarrass us at all the, the most inopportune times. You ever been sitting in a quiet room with a bunch of people, and it may even be a holy moment, and all of a sudden your belly goes, and then everyone thought you passed gas, you're like, mm, 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 mm. I'm just hungry. Okay. Embarrassing. But we, we, we groan. Our body is just groaning. We overeat, and what do we do? Ugh. We groan. You ever work out and like two or three days later, like you, you're just walking all funny like a, like a giraffe the first time, you know? It's the worst. We, we, we groan. I can tell you how old you are by the, by the level and, and volume of your groaning when you get up and sit down. <laughs> like I just groan all the time. What is that noise? I don't know. We groan when our babies cry in the middle of the night. We groan when our children have bad dreams and bang on our door at 4.50 in the morning. Am I right, babe? That happened last night. <laughs> I was like, I had 10 more minutes before my alarm. We groan. We groan at these things. When we get older, we forget and we groan. We groan when we get sick. We, our bodies are just groaning. That's why Paul says we're going to have the redemption of the bodies. Why? Because human, we have this thing called bodies. Now, some of us, we have, uh, we have an idea in our mind of like, our bodies really don't matter. They're just a vehicle of our soul. Run them into the ground, and then we'll get a new one later on. But that's not true. That's not true. It's, our bodies are more than that. I am my body. You are your body. Meaning, I know you, and you know me by our bodies. We are embodied souls, and our bodies they do matter. If, you, if your body is young with full of energy, then that means you are young, full of energy. If your body is old and broken down, that means you <laughs> waiting for redemption. <laughs> Can we just dwell for a minute of the redemption of our bodies and just use our holy imagination of what that's going to look like? The Bible tells us at the end that when God glorifies our bodies, when they're redeemed and they're made brand new, they will be like Christ, and meaning they'll be perfected. That means the Bible tells us there'll be no more crying, there'll be no more sadness, no more anxieties, no more depressions, no more cancers, no more broken bones. No, I mean, just no, no more embarrassing sounds coming from it, no more bad eyesight, no more like hurt knees, no more groaning getting up and sitting down. I mean, we're, we're going to be made brand new. Isn't that great? 
man, I just ponder that sometimes I'm great. But let me caution us, because I hear myself say this sometimes, and I've caught myself here lately. Sometimes I look forward to the redemption of the body. I forget I'm looking forward to the redeemer of the redemption of the body. Sometimes I'm like, God, I can't wait to get out of this world. This world is the worst. This world feels like hell right now, and all these things are exploding, and everything's bad, and people are hurting people, and, and I'm still a mess at times as well. And it's like, I just want to get out of this. I want to be where there's no pain, and where there's no suffering, and there's no idiocracy, and there's none of those things. And if I'm not careful, then I start thinking about heaven as this place where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. And then I start thinking about loved ones who have gone ahead of me. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to be with them. And I can't wait to be in the comfort of them. And I have to be very careful because if, if I'm not careful, then all I want is comfort and not the comforter. Some people will choose Christianity. They'll, they'll raise their hand to Christianity or pray a prayer to Christianity or show up to Christian things. On it. Why? Because they believe in hell and they're like, I just don't want the pains of hell, so I better trust Jesus. And I want to go see my loved ones again, so I better trust Jesus. And, and all their picture of Christianity, all their picture of God and Bible and all that is just me being comfortable with missing hell, being in heaven, and the comfort of the ones who have gone before me, in which those are great things. They're just secondary things. If your heaven does not have a Jesus in it, it's not a heaven at all. And if you're, if you're looking forward to heaven with no Jesus in it, then I, I have to be the one that tells you you will never see heaven. And so don't, don't lose Jesus in the mix because it's so hard now that you just want to be redeemed. Don't lose Jesus in the mix. It's so hard and suffering and painful right now that I just want the comforts of heaven. You want the comforter Jesus as well, primarily. Don't, don't lose that sight. But nonetheless, Paul says here, we have these bodies and they groan. They groan because here's one of the biggest reasons I think we groan, because we've tasted a bit of heaven when it comes to the Spirit living in us that we want more. We've tasted the first fruit and we want the whole orchard. We long to be with Jesus. We want to be with Jesus. Uh, earlier this year, I got an opportunity to travel to India to spend time with Arjuna and do some uh, teaching and preaching there. And it is 30 plus hours of air travel. <sighs> and anyway, uh, on the way back, um, here's what I realized. I realized I am thoroughly American, and I don't mean anything bad about that, but as thoroughly an American, I uh, have really gotten used to my personal space. You ever notice that as Americans, we stand in line, we give each other personal space, like this is what we do, right? Um, not everyone has got that memo. And so um, when, when you're crowded around in places with lots of people and everyone's breathing down your necks, and all that, I got to a breaking point. I was like, enough! I was like, yo, please stay on that side of the seat. Uh, anyway, all that to say, 30 hours coming home, I was longing not just to be home and not just to be comfortable and not just any of those things. I was longing to see my loved ones. I just wanted to see Angie. I just wanted to see my kids. I just want to see my friends. It's the same with us as well as Christians. We long right now. It's a very uncomfortable, painful, suffering world, and we just long to see Jesus. That's a part of the groaning. That's why we're just like, oh, Jesus, why can't you just return? I just want to be with you. Verse 24, watch this. He says, for in this hope we were saved. Not hope that is seen. Uh, now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with, what's that word? Patience. We'll look around us. We don't see a lot of heaven. I don't think so. And not in the world. I, I, I argue when we look around in here, 
when you come and gather together as Christians, when the Spirit of God is with us here, I think this is the closest we get to heaven right now. This is what theologians call, I believe, the thinnest space between us and heaven right now. As right here, right now, gathered together, as we're worshiping over God's word together, as we're singing and worshiping together, as we're taking the common bread and the common juice together, as we're, as we're praying the common prayers together, I love, love, love that each and every Sunday we pray the Lord's Prayer together. You know why? Because we're all saying the same thing in unison. We're all praying to God the very thing together. And in my mind, all that we do in here is the closest thing to heaven. But then we walk out of here, don't we? It's the furthest thing from heaven, isn't it? There's pockets, but just a lot of hell, just a lot of pain, just a lot of suffering. And that's why I believe the scripture tells us right here, don't lose hope. You don't see it. You don't see it outside of here, but we need to wait patiently. Here's the question we're all asking. How patient should I be? right? What's the bare minimum of my patience? Because I'm a very impatient person. Is that just me? Who in here would say I'm a very patient person? Raise your hand. One, and they put it down really fast. I know, Miss Carol, she is patient. A couple of you are. So out of a room of several hundred people, two, one and a half, the other person put their hand down really fast. How patient must we be? And my answer is this, you be as patient as God is. Well, it's hard, right? Because I'm not patient with myself. You ever surprise yourself with your sin? No, I do. Like I'll say something, do something. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? And then I'll just beat myself up about it. Uh, you ever get impatient with other people's sin? You ever been married? <laughs> Babe, I'm, not, I'm talking about their marriage, not ours. <laughs> ours is. Um, but you, you really get impatient with other people. Hey, you ever get impatient with God? God, I'm tired of suffering. God, I'm tired of that child wandering away, not coming back. God, I'm tired of that spouse being cold towards me. God, I'm tired of this job situation not working out. How patient are we to be? We are to be as patient as God is. How patient is God? Look back to Romans 2.4. I think this shows us how patient he is. Do not presume on the riches of his kindness. So what are the riches of God's kindness and forbearance? And patience, it works in a chain together. Not knowing that God's kindness, and part of that is his patience, is meant to lead you to repentance. Can we just all agree that God is patient with us? Now, we need to be patient with people in traffic. We need to be patient. Hey, I tell you what make you patient in traffic. Uh, you, you, will, you will yell, scream, and probably say some not-so-nice words when you see a teenager driving around and, like, you know, they, they, they just don't look like they know what they're doing, am I right? Until you get a teenager driving. And then someone's behind you honking their horn, and then all of a sudden you're the one turning around saying very not-nice words to them as well. You just put yourself in someone else's shoes. Why don't you be as patient with yourself, others, and God is, God is patient with you. Now that kind of gets me to the point of back around to the beginning. What do we do when God's will seems hidden? What do we do when it feels like we don't know what to do, we don't know what to pray, that we're just left speechless? You've all been there. The diagnosis comes in and you're speechless. Divorce papers are freshly served, you're speechless. The call comes in that the death of a loved one is real. 
and you're speechless. The secret comes out that someone's been holding against you or, or away from you for such a long time comes out. Speechless. We don't know what to say. We, we at times don't know what to feel. We at times don't know what to even think. Rest assured, Christian, the Holy Spirit knows. He knows what to feel. He knows what to think. He knows how to respond even when we don't. And he dwells in us. Verse 26 says, likewise. Man, I, I, really, I really want these two verses to be so comforting to us. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What does Paul mean by this? What does he mean by we need help? This is what Paul said about us in the text. Christian, we are weak and we are ignorant at times. Two words we don't want to hear. I'm not, I'm not weak, I'm strong. No, 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 no. We're weak. I'm not ignorant. I don't like the word ignorant. We are ignorant at times, especially when it comes to the will of God. We at times are too weak by our own limitations, by our own wounds, by our own weariness, or just a lack of insight of not knowing what to pray. Now, of course, God has revealed his will and his word, and so we know what to pray when it says right here in his word. You know, I tell you what, as a matter of fact, sometimes if we don't know what to pray, just pray his word back to him. You ever pray Psalm 23 back to God? You ever prayed Psalm 51 back to God? You ever prayed the Lord's Prayer back to God? Just pray his words, personalize them, and pray back. If you don't know what to pray, pray God's word. But there are times in life where we are left absolutely speechless. We have no idea what God's will is in the situation, but we should have no fear because the Holy Spirit is there with us. Now, what is our weakness in this context? Well, we have a clue when he says we don't know how to pray in our weakness. Go back to verse 23 because I think here's the context of our weakness. And don't miss this. He says, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoptions as sons, the redemptions of our bodies. What is the weakness that he's talking about in this context? It's the last word right there. And what is it? Say it again. Come on, this is like Bible study. What is it? Our, it is our bodies. We have limited, broken bodies. There is times where our life hurts so bad that all we can do is groan. There is time when we watch our children hurt so bad. You ever watch a child in the middle of the night have a fever and hear them make those little noises? When they're, mm, mm, it's the worst, right? As a parent, you're just like, I just want to take that away from them. I, I want the pain. They just groan. There's a time when our brothers and sisters, when our friends hurt so bad, all they can do and all we can do together is groan. There's a time when getting older is so difficult. The only thing we can do is groan. Remember that scenario where Peter and Jesus was talking and Jesus looks at Peter and said, Peter, there's going to be a day when someone's going to have to clothe you, when someone's going to have to walk you around by the hand because you won't be able to do it on your own. That day is going to come for us as well. There may be a day in our life where we're laying in a hospital bed hooked up to IVs, catheters, and all the other hoses and wires to where we can do nothing, express nothing outside of just lay there and groan. That's all we can do. There will be times in this life, potentially, to where pain will be so unbearable, we will not know either to pray for deliverance and healing or deliverance and death. 
There will be those times. We will need help. We will need someone to carry us along. We will need someone to pray on our behalf. And the good news is the Holy Spirit residing in you when we don't even know what to say is praying on your behalf. And and guess what? The Holy Spirit always gets God's will perfect. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit is perfect and the Holy Spirit is God and the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And so we can always rely upon him. A.T. Robertson says this. He says, the Holy Spirit lays hold of our weaknesses along with us and carries his part of the burden facing us as if two men were carrying a log, one at each end. And so we have the Holy Spirit inside of us praying for us. Now think about this. If we start looking at the rest of the Bible, we not only have the Holy Spirit praying inside for us, but we have someone in heaven praying on our behalf. And his name is? Can you believe that? How miraculous, like like God the Spirit is in us praying on our behalf, even when we don't know how to pray. Jesus is in heaven, and then when accusations from the enemy comes against us, he's saying, nah, 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 that one's mine. She's mine. He's mine. That ain't true because it ain't true of me. And so we have two of the three members of the Trinity, or persons of the Trinity, praying on our behalf. Isn't that comforting? This is really good news. Douglas Moo said this. He says, There is one in heaven, the Son of God, Jesus, who intercedes on our behalf, defending us from all charges that might be brought against us, guaranteeing our salvation in the day of judgment. But there is also an intercessor in our hearts, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who effectively prays to the Father on our behalf through the difficulties and uncertainties of our lives here on earth. The Holy Spirit is groaning the Holy Spirit is using these, these groans, like wordless groans on our behalf. Now, for some of us, pause. You, you may have uh, been from a church tradition. We're like, yeah, and this means the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. It is not that. This is not glossolalia here. This is not the speaking in tongues That's not because there's no interpreter or anything like that. This is, this is the language. This is the, the groans of the Holy Spirit when we're wordless speaking on our behalf. Can you grasp how encouraging this is, Christian, in a life full of difficulties, pain, and suffering. And at times, God will not take away the difficulties, pain, and suffering this side of heaven. Let me give you three quick encouragements from this text. Number one, I'm hoping this will take a lot of pressure off of you. Number one, we're not expected to know God's will in every situation. Uh, man, I've been a pastor long enough. People just come and beat themselves up. Look, I just don't know God's will in this very specific, minutiae, detailed situation. And I'm like, well, I don't know if you're supposed to know God's will in this situation. I think you should lean upon the Holy Spirit. I think you should try to like, get some good, wise counsel. But at the end of the day, you don't know. So keep, you might have to keep moving forward or stop. And just, well, how's the Holy Spirit leading you and prompting you? But here's the thing behind the thing, if we're not careful. We want to know God's will all the time, possibly not because it's God's will, because we want to be in control. And so what I'm trying to say is, it's okay not to be in control. Some of you are having heart palpitations right now. <laughs> but, but you don't understand, I've got to be, in, no you don't, no you don't. Did you not hear the text? The Holy Spirit is in you and praying on your behalf. You don't always have to be in control. God has you right? Jesus is on your behalf in heaven interceding for you. And so it's going to be okay. You do not have to know all the time 
What is God's will? God, it's God's will. Sometimes it's like, God, I think this is it. I'm going to move in the right. I know it's not opposed to your will. I'm going to move in this direction. Number two, in all your weaknesses, in all your limitations, in all your weariness, in all your brokenness, in all your hurt, in all your pain, do not forget what I'm getting ready to say. Number two, God is for you. You will lose sight of that. God is for you. He is on your side. He loves you. He is a father. You are a son or daughter. If you're in Christ, he loves you. Let me remind you of Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The concrete illustration here is, how do I know that God is for me? Because the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, resides in you, dwells in you, and is praying on your behalf. And we know for certain the Holy Spirit is praying the will of God on your behalf. Right? God is for you. That might be it, right? You just need to remind yourself all day long, God is for me. God is for me. God is for me. Let me give you a last thought. Verse 27, he says, And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of spirit, because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And when you look at the whole of scriptures, number three is very true. God is searching your heart, meaning God knows you. God knows you. God sees you. And no, no one gets me. No one understands what I'm going through. No one knows what it feels like to have this depression or this anxiety. No one knows what it's like to have this type of upbringing, these things done to you or done with you. No one understands what this kind of marriage is like. No one understands what I'm going through, what I'm thinking, what I'm dealing No one understands my dark days. No one understands that gloomy cloud over me. Listen, listen. God searches the heart. God knows you. God sees you. God is with you. Can we take just a, a scotch of comfort knowing that God knows everything about me, even things I don't know about me, and hasn't left us? He hasn't, he hasn't run away. He, he hasn't quit us. Even when things are good, even when things are bad, even when there's suffering, even when there's pain, even when we're, when we're foolish, even when we sin, God sees you and God knows you. God cares for you and God's not going to leave you. That's really good news, right? Be comforted by this fact. Christian, we will groan. We will have hardships in this life. There will be times, if it's not already happened in your life, that will leave us speechless. There will be times, if it hasn't happened in your life, probably happening right now, when you will not know the will of God. Take heart. The Holy Spirit resides in you, knows the will of God, and prays on your behalf. Here's what I'm going to do. I want to pause, and I want to, just, I want to enter a time of silence together. So just, you might want to put your Bible down or something like that. Get in a posture that's comfortable for you, maybe just where you sit, palms out maybe, eyes closed, head bowed. Maybe for some of you feel like, hey, I just feel like I, just, I need to kneel. I need to be low right now. Whatever you need to do there. Just get in a position to where, um, just where, where you just feel like in a spirit of silence and prayer. And I want, I want to have a little silence together where the Lord can just search our hearts. And then in a moment we'll pray and then we'll go to the Lord's table together. God, as we quiet our souls, 
quiet our bodies. Would you speak to us? Father, I know in a room this size, there's an enormity of pain. Physical pain, emotional, relational, marital pain, financial pain, just pain, suffering. Some of it completely out of our control, some of it by our own choices, some of it by the choice of others. Just suffering and pain. And in that suffering and pain, there's been times where we've just been speechless. Times where we've asked the question, why? Times where we just don't know what to do, what to pray, what to say. Father, I know there's many brothers and sisters right now probably in that season. Holy Spirit, you are the great comforter. Comfort them now by your presence. Remind them that you you pray on our behalf. You intercede in our hearts. Father, help us to see as even your word says that there will be suffering for a little while. That little while may be our entire lives this side of heaven. And so we groan. We lament. We weep. We feel sorrow and we hurt. But we don't do it alone. Remind us of that. Keep us also focused on what's to come who's to come, Jesus, that we would be with you forever. That you are, as promised, going to redeem our lives, our bodies. 
Give us the endurance and the perseverance to keep going. Give us the brothers and sisters and the encouragement we need to keep going. Give us the comfort and at times we need the reprieve to keep going. Not for our glory, but Jesus, may all this be for your glory alone. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.